thank you. <coughs> thank you very much, Przemek, for inviting me here. It's my pleasure to uh, give a talk here in London, where you have such amazing teams like at Imperial and where also Compass is based, a company that is running phase three study on psilocybin. So, uh, since you're probably not scientists, all of you, uh, I will try to make the talk as simple as possible so everybody can understand. Uh, the talk will be about psychedelics, so there will be also some pictures uh, that we are running uh, in our trials, pictures from other colleagues, and I will try uh, my best to explain uh, everything in a way so you can understand. So, uh, when we speak about psychedelics, uh, what does it work? Yes. Uh, what does it mean? Probably most of you know psychedelics under the term uh, hallucinogens because in this way they are known uh, for most people who are experimenting with these substances. Uh, psychedelics, however, seems to be a more appropriate term because it is about, uh, it's composed from two words, soul manifesting from the, uh, from the uh, Greek, uh, Greek words. And uh, in fact, uh, in fact, is more appropriate than hallucinogens because the visual effects are usually uh, present only with high doses and with the lower doses. The visual hallucinations and illusions are not typically typically present. There are also other alternative names. Uh, probably uh, one of the first ones was used Fantastica, uh, obviously because it induces these visual perceptual changes. Psychotomimetics because it mimics some of the symptoms we know from psychosis and theogens, that's the spirituality and dimensions related to, uh, to the spiritual use of psychedelics. When we look on uh, the compounds, what uh, belongs to this group of psychedelics. So there's a huge, uh, huge spectrum of different substances. Uh, the so-called classical psychedelics or classical serotonergic psychedelics are called tryptamines, ergolines and phenylethylamines and within these uh, belong the most famous one LSD but also psilocybin, mescaline etc. I would like to also mention and bring to your attention uh, something which is called dissociative anesthetics, uh, which uh, are not the pure psychedelic compounds, but they can uh, be uh, they can belong in uh, into this group as well because they induce similar effects. And ketamine is probably the most interesting compound in these days. So, uh, in my talk I will focus mainly on the uh, three compounds. Uh, one of them is psilocybin. This is a, a psilocybin bohemica found, uh, found in Czech Republic uh, around a month ago. Uh, and it contains psilocybin, which is in fact the prodrug of psilocin, which is the active compound. And uh, this compound was for the first time isolated and then uh, synthesized also by Albert Hoffman-like LSD. The other drug uh, I will uh, talk about a little bit in my talk is ketamine. As I mentioned, ketamine is a dissociative anesthetic, but in doses which are, light, uh, which are smaller than the full anesthetic doses, it can have some psychotomimetic properties, psychedelic properties, and uh, because of that it's also uh, abused or misused, and uh, in these doses it has also very interesting effects as well, so I will show them uh, to you later. And the last uh, compound or last uh, psychoactive uh, medicine I will talk about is ayahuasca. Ayahuasca is a brew that uh, is made of several plants, but the principal component or constituent is uh, the ayahuasca vine, which is Baringstropsis uh, capi liana that contains betacarbolins, and uh, another plant which is called Cicotria viridis or chacruna, which contains the uh, psychedelic uh, of this brew which is called DMT. That is, the interesting thing on this brew is that DMT is not active orally uh, because it's metabolized by, uh, by so-called uh, monoamino oxidases and these beta-carbolins that are present in the uh, ayahuasca, in the wine, they are blocking the decomposition of DMT and making it effective orally. When we go uh, to the past, psychedelics 
are here for thousands of years. They have been used by different cultures, uh, different areas <coughs> in the world. One of the oldest documentation about uh, the use of psychedelics is from Algeria, where probably mushrooms were used. Similarly, uh, old is the history of use of, of mescaline and peyote in Central and North America. And uh, there are some speculations that ayahuasca may be used also for 5,000 years before century, but this is not uh, this is not sure. So they were here since ever, uh, probably. And if you look on a slide that I borrowed from one compass presentation, this is just to show you a timeline of recent Western scientific research of psychedelics. It's not more than uh, 150 years. Uh, the first psychedelic described and synthesized wasn't LSD, but it was mescaline already in the 19th century, and then followed by PCP, LSD, etc. Uh, then around this period there was lots of research, uh, not, there, was, there was almost no research ongoing because of uh, prohibition of psychedelics and all of the new findings starts to happen after, uh, after around the new millennium. So the timeline, the timeline here compared to the uh, period for how much time psychedelics are used is almost nothing but uh, this last 10 or 20 years bring quite lots of new interesting results. In our institution we do work with psychedelics in animals as well as in humans and uh, the studies that we are running in humans are studies in healthy volunteers. Uh, we are uh, also running studies in patients, especially with ketamine. Now we are preparing two studies with psilocybin. One is uh, the phase 3 uh, trial with COMPASS and the other one is ours and we also uh, are the first center that will probably initiate the, uh, the MDMA for post-traumatic stress disorder the phase two, uh, phase two B study in uh, uh, the, the one that is directed by MAPS. So, uh, what are the effects of psychedelics? There are some acute effects, that's why people use them usually, and uh, how we can describe them. So, uh, there are different ways how we can describe them, but definitely uh, there are three main clusters of symptoms they can induce. The first cluster are somatic symptoms, which are usually not anything dangerous, not anything severe, could vary from, uh, from some nausea, dry mouth, and uh, some sympathomimetic effects, which uh, are presented like increased heart uh, rate or increased blood pressure. Uh, the thing or the cluster of symptoms why people use psychedelics or the perceptual effects mainly, that's one thing, and the psychological effects. So uh, the perceptual effects include visual, uh, visual hallucinations or pseudo-hallucinations, illusions, synesthesias, etc. And the psychological effects could vary from uh, very pleasant states, uh, emotional, up to very anxious and paranoid-like states. Uh, we can uh, we can somehow evaluate these effects or measure them and for this we use uh, different scales and one of the most used scale is so-called altered states of consciousness scale. The primary version or the very first version divided the effects into uh, three main domains. One is the oceanic boundlessness subscale which refers mainly to the positive effects of psychedelics. The other one is uh, Tredovic dissolution scale which refers mainly to the anxious-like perceptions and, and uh, loss, of, uh, loss of ego, etc. And then, uh, of course, the visual, uh, visual scale, which is referring to the visual perceptual changes. Uh, this scale also has a secondary scale, which describes the magnitude of effects. And uh, when we look on how psilocybin acts on these four domains, this is from our study in healthy volunteers, we can see that psilocybin induced quite strong oceanic boundlessness and visual, uh, visual restructurization. Uh, during uh, the study we used 20, approximately 20 milligram dose of psilocybin. The effect was intermediate and the intensity of effects depended on the plasma levels of psilocin. 
uh, just to have an idea how it looks like when we compare it with the, with the other compounds, which we also did in our lab. Uh, here, the blue line is ketamine, red one is psilocybin. Uh, you can see that psilocybin had much more visual effects, but on the uh, measure of oceanic boundlessness, the effects were uh, pretty much comparable to uh, psilocybin. Cannabis, compared to that, was much weaker in potency, let's say. Just to give you an idea how the psychedelic, uh, the acute effects of psychedelics might look like, I've downloaded a, a video from, from YouTube, uh, which is uh, very, uh, very interesting to see because it shows all possible, uh, all possible experiences that can come out with psychedelics in a very short, uh, short time. So please enjoy the video. LSD works in mysterious ways. Yeah. Lucy in the sky with diamonds. Come on. <sighs> you think the um, the LSDs kick in? Takes a little while. Yeah. Give it a chance, buddy. Dude, I had a fucking double feeling. I had a feeling like you had a fucking rock and jam and I was feeling something funny. Yeah, yeah. You're a fucking... <laughs> Dude, that is so rad. You stay here and keep exploring. I'm going to go over there and explore on an uncharted terrain. Okay. <laughs> uncharted terrain. Jack, hey, come on. <laughs> Dude, what are you doing? Hey, JB. Oh, hey, Root Man. How you doing? Good. How you doing, Root Man? Good. Dude, are you okay? What are you and KG doing out here in the desert? Nothing, man. We're just tripping balls. <laughs> I thought we were going to ride into the cosmos! Jack. Oh my god. Oh my god! For the first time in my life, I am completely whole! Cage, I am like an egg, man! I'm a fucking egg! Come back over here, Jack. We're gonna ride the snake into the cosmos. Jack, Jack, Jack. What? Jack, Jack. Jack? What is that? Is that my name? Is Jack my name? I, my essence cannot be labeled. Why must you label me? My essence has no label. I don't feel so good. <laughs> Dude, are, are you okay? Dude! Jack, I want to ride the snake! Are you okay? Dude, what's wrong? What the fuck?! Dude, I think that might have been some bad LSD. Where's the, where's the box that you put? Where's the LSD box? Dude, where's that box of LSD? 
Dude, this isn't LSD. It's EPT. It's one of those home pregnancy tests. What? I told you didn't want to have to piss on anything to get high and ride the tiger. Dude, I've totally had a placebo effect then, because I thought I was on LSD, brother. <laughs> okay, I believe this video definitely describes the whole spectrum of effects that psychedelics can do. Do you think is there a placebo effect to psychedelics? Actually, yes, there is. This is a one of our volunteers in psilocybin. The blue line refers to placebo. He came to the study and he had full effect for six hours. And then we expected on the second run that he will come with placebo and the effect was even more potent. So, and that was a placebo responder. Uh, uh, what's that? That's placebo non, uh, that's psilocybin non-responder. It also, uh, a woman uh, of the same age that received the same dose and same weight and she had much more pronounced effect or she has full psychedelic effect and this one didn't have. We're struggling why this happens and there are definitely differences in how people uh, metabolize psilocybin and actually when we check the plasma levels of psilocin as the active compound what we found out that this woman she had very high plasma levels of psilocin already one hour after ingestion but this woman look at it she had almost nothing one hour and very tiny plasma levels two hours after so there are also people which respond differently because of uh, some metabolic differences and they were all fasting before they ingested the substance so these are the acute effects. Uh, describing them in a scale like that is interesting, but whoever knows what it tells us exactly compared to what we can experience. Uh, we know that psychedelics should induce some visual effects. I'll try if the videos will run. So uh, we wanted to, uh, because we ran a series of tests, uh, which where we ask people on to do something on the computer screen, we want to exclude that they are see not seeing something else than they are supposed to see. So we made a test like that. We presented them these images of faces, mo uh, morphing uh, faces and morphing objects and uh, images that were static, and we asked them to rate whether uh, is something happening with the image they see or not. And actually, what we've expected and what was shown uh, in, in these data that during the peak, uh, people were rating for objects and faces that were static and not moving as they are moving. So there's a direct proof that they had some visual effects, not in the term of hallucinations, because they didn't mismatch the, uh, the ellipse with faces, but in terms of some kind of illusions and uh, distortion of, of the visual perceptual field. People do uh, take psychedelics also on raves and uh, it's obvious that music is very important for the effects of psychedelics. So in our first part of the study we wanted to select music that people like most on, on psychedelics in order to play them uh, on psilocybin in order to play them later and do some more stuff with it. So we played a rank of different styles of music from punk, hardcore, whatever. And what we found out actually that they liked the most classical music, non-intoxicated as well as intoxicated, and they didn't like much uh, side trends, electronic music, when they were not intoxicated, but the liking increased a lot. I don't know what's here, the effect on ministry, it's a very hardcore music. Uh, Probably, uh, probably, uh, it's not a good music for uh, for uh, psychedelics. But anyway, let's have a look what music they liked a lot, with and without. <coughs> and what they liked more, much more on psilocybin. So 
these events where this music is played is usually associated with much higher prevalence of psychedelic substances use. So uh, we extracted these two songs and let them uh, subjects listen in the MRI and the scanner of magnetic resonance and actually it was confirmed that uh, they liked a lot of classical music and the liking increased a little bit with the rated from plus three to minus three just a visual analog scale, Likert scale, plus three is an uh, euphoria, minus three is completely discussed and uh, but psytrance can you see the dramatic increase is even more than in the previous part of the study that was done with EEG. It seems like the psytrance somehow fits into the scanner the question is why, and we're doing some more stuff with synchronizing it with EEG and MRI together. So, uh, and the data will be hopefully soon available. So this is the, uh, the way psychedelics do act, they also have perception, and how do they work, what do they uh, do uh, in our brain. So if we look on the structure, the uh, two molecules here, as such as Schalgen called in dirty pictures, are neurotransmitters. Those uh, compounds transform, uh, transmit information between neurons in the brain. There is serotonin and there is dopamine, uh, two most abundant monoaminergic uh, monoaminergic neurotransmitters. And if you look at the structure of uh, psilocin, dimethyltryptamine and mescaline and also LSD, you can find a similar characteristics or similar structure in these molecules. That means they probably will, help, they probably will have similar mechanism of action. And indeed, these compounds bind to so-called serotonin 2A receptor, which is a uh, receptor which is most abundant in the cortex uh, uh, of the brain, uh, both, uh, both rotten brain and, and human brain. So there's one receptor of the serotonin system which seems to be most likely responsible for majority of the effects of psychedelics. Taken into account there are seven subtypes uh, within, uh, within uh, serotonergic receptors and within these subsides there are other categories uh, so there are about 20 serotonergic receptor types uh, and just one of these is responsible for such powerful effects is very very interesting uh, how does it work in general uh, how we can explain the effects how they happen our brain uh, is uh, let's say uh, let's say uh, an antenna that is uh, that is uh, filtering and processing the information coming from around us from our surrounding and also from inside and uh, the brain uh, in order to uh, in order to focus on something needs to use some filters in order to focus <coughs> attention on something and one of these filters is something called thalamus it's a nuclear it's, a, uh, com it's composed of several nuclei it's uh, deep in the brain and uh, in fact it does one thing that that it points our attention on to what is important, what is relevant, what is irrelevant. And what we believe psychedelics do is that they decrease the activity of thalamus. So the filter just stops working and uh, we, have, we are overloaded by the amount of information coming from the outside as well as from the inside. At the same time, because the 2A receptors are very dense in the cortex and they are uh, stimulatory receptors, they hyperexcite the cortex. So the cortex is hyperexcited, the thalamus is not filtering and together it leads to increased noise to signal ratio and that's probably beyond why the reality looks so different uh, than, uh, than on the normal situation. When we look on previous studies that were done in psychedelics, this is, these studies are done by Franz Follenweider and Kutsudius Meifrank, uh, actually they found out that uh, there was a frontal and temporal cortical metabolism, increase in metabolism uh, and uh, at the same time decrease in uh, metabolism in thalamus and amygdala. Similar things were found by Franz, Franz von Weider. So the neuroimaging studies using positron emission tomography show uh, confirm pretty much the same thing. These data are from our study and our volunteers that were in the scanner during psilocybin and we were looking on the connectivity of thalamus with the cortical, uh, with the cortex, with the brain cortex. And the red color means that there's an increase in connectivity. So the connectivity of thalamus with the, red, uh, with the rest of the brain increased. That means, in fact, the amount of, the amount of information coming through thalamus to the cortex was increased and it really fits again to this. Uh, to the previous hypothesis. Uh, 
Today we don't look on how the brain works only by some blobs or areas that might be hyperactivated or deactivated, but it seems that uh, our brain is a system of complex networks and uh, these networks somehow are interacting. One of the networks, the most cited and most popular network today is so-called default mode network. This network is activated at the moment when we are not doing anything, when we are not focusing on anything. And and uh, then there is another network which is called Central Executive Network. This is a network which is activated when we focus our attention on something, when we are performing some cognitive tasks. And then the third one is a salience network, which seems to be like a switch, which switches between one and the other network. It's obvious that default mode, net default mode network and Central Executive Network, they are not likely to run at the same time together, because either we are focused inside or we focus our attention outside. But what actually psychedelics do, we uh, looked at the connectivity between these two networks or between hubs of these two networks and we found out that there was increased connectivity between the default mode network and central executive network. So uh, under normal circumstances these two networks are so-called anti-correlated but psilocybin increased their correlation. Taken into normal, normal words, it could be understood that we were flooded or the people were, could be flooded by the internal information as well as by the external information at the same time and again could describe how the mechanisms of psychedelics, uh, how psychedelics do act on our brain. We move on towards something which is highly actual these days. Therapeutic potential of psychedelics. Uh, people do use them in a recreational, uh, recreational setting, but and they were because of that they were scheduled for many years. But now it seems that they might have some therapeutic potential. And it's nothing uh, that new, already studies that were performed a uh, long time ago in 50s and 60s uh, showed that there might be some effect. Uh, in fact, these first studies, pioneer studies, were not much ethical. They were giving psychedelics almost to anyone, trying to find out what will happen with these patients. We have to look on which situation was in these, uh, in these uh, pioneer times, and that's, there were almost no medication that we know for psychiatric disorders. And uh, the first antipsychotic that is used to treat psychosis was discovered in 1950. 1951 was first antidepressant that was introduced onto, on the market. So uh, taking into account that there was nothing available for these hundreds or thousands of patients that were suffering mentally, uh, it's obvious that they were tried uh, on anything. One of the first uh, first moments or first clinical uh, clinical uh, areas where psychedelics have been shown to be quite effective already in these old times were uh, treatment of addiction. This is a summary of studies with LSD, of control studies of these ancient times, uh, where they used LSD in patients who were addicted. And actually, all these studies were in favor uh, of LSD compared to other therapeutic approaches that LSD increased the abstinence rates uh, and uh, improved the people who were addicted uh, from, from alcohol. And if you look on the, I'm sorry, if you look on the uh, on the amount of people uh, who were enrolled in the study, it's it's quite surprising how many people uh, were treated by uh, by uh, psychedelics. The first, let's say, modern trial, control trial, uh, was with ketamine. And Eugen Krupitsky gave ketamine to heroin addicts in Russia. In Russia, by the way, they don't have any replacement therapy. And uh, now they don't have uh, ketamine because it has been scheduled. But uh, this is the first study which showed that subjects who received ketamine-assisted uh, ketamine, uh, psychotherapy during uh, the treatment uh, did better and had better abstinent rates after quite a long period of time, 24, uh, 24 weeks. And uh, the other thing that was shown, which is very interesting, that it decreased craving. Craving is a symptom which is one of the most important uh, driving the relapse. People might be treated, they might be abstinent for six months and still they might have craving and it might lead to a fail and they uh, reinitiate uh, re uh 
uh, drug use. Uh, the other uh, study, which is even more recent, and was the first one with psychedelics, was a study with psilocybin and smoking. I don't know if you're aware how many people, when they try to quit smoking, <coughs> how many of them can uh, really quit. Have you any idea? That would be great. Uh, without any support, uh, not more than 5% of people who try to quit smoking succeed. And if you look on these rates, what psilocybin assisted therapy did, that 10 participants, 67% uh, after 12 month follow up were abstinent, and uh, 16, month, uh, 16 months after 80% completed, and 6 were confirmed as non smokers or non smoking, that's something absolutely amazing. And there are new studies pointing out. Uh, the possible efficacy of psychedelics in treatment of addiction. This one is for alcohol. It's an open-label proof-of-concept study. Decreased, uh, decreased uh, amount of alcohol drank per day. Decreased, uh, increased abstinence rates. Uh, same, uh, same seems to be uh, valid for other compounds as well, like ayahuasca, etc. The other domain where psychedelics seems to be effective uh, are, uh, the, is the use of psychedelics in <coughs> existential crisis. So uh, this is uh, very obvious when you have a population of uh, people who are suffering and we don't have anything to offer them and there's nothing they can lose, uh, then we can try to use something which was banned for a long time and obviously this is one of the possibilities where we can uh, we could start with psychedelics sometime some time ago so uh, the first studies that were published uh, showed that uh, on the left graph this is the depression scale and the right graph this is the anxiety scale and subjects who were treated with end uh, stage cancer with psilocybin showed that it improved uh, their depressive rates and anxiety uh, after psilocybin uh, assisted psychotherapy so this is uh, very, that was a definitely historically very impo important moment when, uh, which could help to move towards uh, something which is very uh, fancy today and something what we call fast-acting antidepressants. Uh, that psychedelic theoretically might be effective in treating disorders like depression and anxiety. I don't know if you're aware how many people suffer uh, depression or anxiety, but uh, nearly a quarter of population at least once in their life suffer a clinically manifested symptoms of depression. Many of them being treatment resistant and with the pharmacotherapy that we have, usually the first line antidepressants show efficacy in 30%, then they are switched to another medication and the efficacy could increase for another 30%. And then we have a pool of patients that do not respond for two treatments and they're called resistant. Depression is also one of the most or one of the first uh, few uh, causes of disability uh, worldwide in Western countries. So let's go to the past, what happened, uh, what happened in the past. This is not important to read the details, but the readout is that already in the 60s and 70s there, were, uh, there was an evidence that psychedelics could improve depression and uh, this are studies with LSD. So the evidence was there, but still uh, they, were, uh, they were banned for a substantial amount of time. And uh, more recently, the first compound that uh, was brought to the attention was uh, not psilocybin or LSD, but was ketamine. The reason is that ketamine is a drug which was available on the market, which is a registered compound, so it was relatively easy to make studies. And uh, so quite a lot of studies published on ketamine in treatment-resistant depression. And what has been found that ketamine, immediately after the infusion, 24 hours after having the infusion of ketamine improves the depressive symptoms which are here on the uh, on the uh, y scale but it's very shortly acting the effect disappears in seven days it's great because in pharmacoresistant subjects uh, they feel a relief for a few days but then it disappears now lots of scientists try to find out the mechanism what is beyond and uh, also if there, if there is a way how to potentiate and prolong the effect of ketamine ketamine has been registered 
uh, for use in the form of esketamine intranasal spray in the US and in October uh, EMA also approved ketamine to be used in, in Europe so it's uh, one of the ways we can one of the treatments we can offer today for psychiatric patients uh, but what happened next? Uh, Robin uh, from Imperial showed in, a, in an open-label study that psilocybin could be effective in treating pharmacoresistant or treatment-resistant depression. And what is interesting on this is that if you look at the dates here, the most robust effect is one week after, but it persists for three months, and follow-up studies show that it persists for six months after one, or in fact this was two doses of psilocybin low, 10 milligram, followed by 25 milligram a week apart. This is a very interesting study because if you take into account that usually people who take antidepressants they have to take them on a daily basis for weeks in order to get an effect and here we have an effect in a week after one dose which persists for up to six months that could be very revolutionary. And indeed, uh, Compass got, uh, got an FDA uh, breakthrough therapy label and recently also Usona, another company who is uh, trying to run studies with psilocybin, got the same, uh, got the same label to use psilocybin in treatment-resistant depression. It's not the case only for, uh, for psilocybin, it has been shown also for other compounds, namely ayahuasca, that it might improve the depressive symptoms. But why I show this study is not because it improved the depressive symptoms, which is clearly seen on this scale and the uh, maximum effects appeared on seven days, but the thing is that they, for the first time, admitted in the study that the patients who were enrolled were not purely depressive patients, but they had something which we call personality <laughs> disorder. And that is something uh, clinicians are really afraid because it's very difficult to treat and uh, they're frequently, frequently treatment resistant uh, and it needs significant uh, training in psychotherapy to help these people. And ayahuasca seemed to improve the depressive symptoms also in patients with personality disorders. So this is a probably the future direction where psychedelics might also be effective. So let's have a look a little bit on what's beyond. We know, or probably uh, we can speculate about, that there are three main domains how psychedelics can have these prolonged effects after one dose. One is neuroplasticity, the other one is uh, something that happens to our brain, that it switches our brain from one functional state to another, and uh, the third aspect could be psychological, because we know they can open up quite lots of, uh, lots of uh, psychological themes and traumas which could be then integrated. Why neuroplasticity? It has been found out that most of the psychedelics and tissue cultures can induce something which we called uh, synaptic plasticity. They just increase the density of connections that neurons create in between each other. And uh, we know that in depression or in models of depression these connections are uh, much less abundant and that ketamine, similarly like these serotonergic psychedelics, they just increase the synaptic connectivity. So there could be some kind of structural effect or uh, microscopic structural changes that lead to uh, such sustaining sustaining effects. The other thing is uh, that psychedelics might just change the activity of the brain. Uh, it's obvious that the effects appear very quickly. Also, when we look at patients who suffer something which we call bipolar disorder, so-called maniodepressivity, and some, they are cycling very quickly. They're cycling from depression to uh, mania within hours or days. And this is very unlikely that this is related to some synaptic plasticity, which happens over uh, more than 24 hours usually. So it is very likely, because the brain is a system of networks, that psychedelics can switch our brain from one functional state to another. This is a famous image from Robin's study uh, showing up the connectivity uh, after psilocybin is dramatically increased during the intoxication. And it's very likely that the state, functional state in which the brain is before compared uh, to during and compared to after the session uh, could be very different and could be uh, somehow underlying the effects uh, of psychedelics. So it's a switch. And we know that patients who were treated uh, 
they're over time getting a little bit worse. Some of them are having, again, depressive symptoms, etc. So it's not uh, forever treatment. So uh, definitely the persistence of these states is something to be questioned. Uh, the last domain is the psychological one. Uh, there is not much known about it yet, but uh, many companies who are using ketamine are trying to avoid this adverse effect, psychotomimetic effect, and try to find compound that does not have psychotomimetic effects that would improve depressive symptoms. These are data from our depressed patients who were treated with ketamine, and they were split into responders and non-responders uh, based on mother scale, which is here, which is here. And here on this scale is brief psychiatric rating scale, which is a scale which uh, is used to measure the psychotomimetic potential. And as you can see here, the green dots, the patients here had much stronger psychotomimetic effects, uh, and they were less likely to, uh, more likely to respond to ketamine than those that were not having that strong psychotomimetic effects. So the question is whether this is an adverse effect or whether this is something that uh, is crucial for the effects of psychedelics. The study of Robin with the patient group I showed you before also showed that the uh, effect uh, of uh, whether they were responders or non-responders depended on the uh, session itself and those who had more spiritual and blissful states uh, and less anxiety looked like those that were responders and those who had more anxiety uh, were those non-responders. So probably the session itself, how it's needed, the setting and the set of the subject could be important. But to my knowledge, no one understood and uh, answered the questions about set and setting. Uh, this is a bar uh, from Fian Loting in Las Vegas and Johnny Depp took mescaline and he came there and instead of people he saw this. It wasn't a pleasant experience. Definitely, this is how the uh, settings look like. This one is from Rwanda Griffiths, uh, a setting for psilocybin-assisted therapy. This is our experimental lab in Prague. It's an EEG lab. We have now also a new room looking like this. But this is still something very far from uh, how psychedelics were used these thousands years uh, before. Uh, because we know that ayahuasca is, has probably one of the longest tradition of use uh, by indigenous people, we have decided uh, to uh, go there and we want to study uh, the use of ayahuasca and the ritual and bring some, uh, some scientific measures. Uh, out of it. So it's quite a long uh, story. We started some three or four years ago, but now we get to a stage where we had some agreement uh, with indigenous people there uh, in the Amazon. We decided to make some project which would be like connection between us and uh, indigenous people doing some documentary and also having a look on, on uh, some uh, neuroimaging measures directly there in the jungle. This is uh, one of the places of Unicui Indians in Santa Rosa do Puros, where they do ayahuasca. It's called, by the way, Teheran. Uh, we did some EEG recording in order to test pilot, pilot the test the equipment we were bringing in. And uh, something which is very crucial is what they call cantos or uh, Icaros. And uh, when we spoke about the music, I'll just play you something what the very old Pajé sang during the session. Yeah. 
example of uh, Brazilian old Pache, this tiny man, he was about 80 or 85 years old, they invited him in order, uh, it's an honor for, for them to show us their traditional cantos uh, they, they, they use for the ayahuasca ceremonies, which are definitely different from those of Icaros using by Ashan Inca or Shipibu and the other tribes. So uh, this is another example of, of uh, the Iran of Unikui people, uh, very different to our lab setting, and I think we still can learn quite a lot from this. Uh, this is a very interesting place called Mayantuyaku. This is led by Ashaninka, Maestro Juan, and Jeremy Nerbi spent there some time and make it popular as well. So that was another place where we, uh, where we participated. Altogether, because like being with indigenous people uh, means like you have to be with them and drink their medicine. So we were uh, obliged to drink ayahuasca. So we had three sessions in different places. And as we are curious scientists, we also decided to uh, take some readouts of these measures. So we collected the data from altered state of consciousness scale, but we already used a newer version which has like more dimensions. And when you look at it, this is the ayahuasca session, three sessions pulled together, uh, six people. And uh, this is our psilocybin study, psilocybin volunteers. <laughs> so when you look on how it looked like, it looked pretty much the same, with maybe more visual effects than the oceanic boundlessness, and it was kind of weaker compared to our psilocybin study. Uh, but when you compare it with the data from Robin, what's very interesting is this. There was no anxiety, nothing almost, nothing unpleasant, even though for many of us it was for the first time. So uh, I'm, we'll be happy to share a little bit of my personal experience where I also collected the EEG data. So it was in Mayantuyaku, uh, it was kind of strange ayahuasca because some people reported the effect, some people didn't report the effect. So uh, this is Maestro Juan, we explained them how to use EEG etc. So he agreed and this is uh, before the session started, uh, we started to grab the data. Uh, my experience was quite interesting because it had like two phases, it was kind of a biphasic. Honestly, I didn't like too much the cantos, it didn't fit to me, but definitely there was a first part where I felt like the effect was coming on quickly and I felt really disorganized and uh, then at some point it just was a switch and I became an observer. I lost my like physical uh, body and I was just observing the messages that the ayahuasca was bringing to me. That was very, very interesting. In terms of uh, how it looked in uh, the behavioral dimension, there was nothing more than the visual effects and very little, uh, very little uh, of, uh, of um, some, some uh, what is the IF, uh, insightfulness, but majority was uh, visual effects. When we go uh, into what it did to my brain, this is how EEG brain activity looks like. We put some electrodes on the brain and because it generates some electrical currents, we can measure them. And this is what happens when you have eyes open, it's flat, uh, flat signal and full of so-called beta activity, which is activity that refers from 12 to 25 hertz oscillations. Here is an eye blink. When you close eyes, this happens. Appears something which is called alpha activity, which is activity from 8 to uh, 12 hertz, and it's very synchronized and it's typical uh, activity associated with a relaxed state and, and uh, with eyes closed condition. It's not present with the eyes open condition, that means it would be pathological. And what happened to me? Uh, this, this is the frequency band of alpha, and the blue color means a decrease. A red color means an increase, and this is the uh, faster alpha activity. So what happened during the initial phase, that indeed, like with all other psychedelics, because this is something that seems to be general to psychedelics, it decreased the alpha activity. In fact, it means like if the signal changed into a signal that is typical with eyes open, despite I had eyes closed. But at some point, and if you remember, that's my hypothesis, when I had the switch of the experience from one to another, something strange happened. The alpha activity was a little bit faster and dramatically increased. And this remained significant uh, or dramatic uh, for the remaining uh, remain of the ceremony. 
in terms of uh, how it looks like in a graph, this is a spectrum of my EEG and this peak corresponds to the alpha activity with eyes closed and the colored line or colored uh, graph is when I was without uh, the influence of ayahuasca. Then, uh, the initial phase, the alpha activity dropped and switched to faster frequencies. But then, uh, as you can see here, the alpha peak shifted to faster frequencies and was dramatically increased. And what does it mean if alpha is increased? It probably means that you're more relaxed, more focused, more attentive to what's going on. So based on one data of myself and based on uh, this information is hardly to presume, but there's definitely lots of other things that could be discovered with psychedelics which haven't been shown yet, and especially if you look on the dynamic of the states because it's not a static state and uh, it has lots of evolution within one intoxication. Interesting thing was that some people were not responding to this, uh, to this ayahuasca in Mayantuyaku. And we also did the analysis of ayahuasca and we looked on uh, two components, on the liquid component and the, the undissolved. Because when you make the brew, there are always like, the liquid parts, so there are things soluble, which are soluble contained, and then the insoluble part. And uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, ayahuasca can be effective only in the case when uh, orally when there are these beta carbolines in it because the DMT otherwise is not metabolized. But what we can see here that in the liquid phase there were no beta carbolines, but they were all in the solid phase. So that might explain the difference why some people had the effect and some not. Because the difference in how fast they do metabolize each of the components and releasing the active components might be crucial for having the effect. And why ayahuasca, same brew, might be in some effective and some less effective. So, uh, just at the end, the last word is uh, just showing a very short movie or trailer from our expedition in order to give you an, an idea of what we were doing for the last three, uh, three years and we are planning to go for the major trip probably next year to collect more robust data with lots of volunteers and lots of EEG equipment. So, uh, you saw our expedition, or part of the preparatory expedition. Uh, it's not easy to go there with the equipment and deal with indigenous people and the humidity and heat and, and, and uh, health issues that might appear, etc. Uh, anyway, uh, because we are doing quite lots of things and uh, we also are trying, uh, trying to uh, get funding for our research and the official uh, projects are sometimes not sufficient. We also founded a foundation in Czech Republic so uh, those who are interested they also can help support psychedelic research in our country. Uh, we have three main uh, projects now that uh, we want to uh, get, funding, get funding for and uh, you can also use, uh, uh, use our website to find we can also add uh, with Bitcoin currency for this moment and uh, that's uh, that's all for the moment if you want these flyers they will be available uh, at the entrance I would like to thank to all collaborators of uh, this study they're not all people but the majority are the most important ones uh, including the indigenous people from Honikui that will without them it wouldn't be possible and uh, of course Eduardo uh, from from Brazil uh, who did some uh, his previous postdoc work at Imperial as well and uh, I would like to thank you for your attention and we have now some time for discussion.